Welcome back and uh, happy new year. This is the 84th, I think, episode of Franco's World. Uh, the second part of the interview with Chris Lamadou is coming up. I got to get through some things first. Uh, had a good gig on New Year's. And if this is your first episode listening after the gig on New Year's, I welcome you. Uh, in news, I peaked in the charts last year at 72 in the Apple podcast stand up, like stand up podcasts on Apple. And I peaked at 72. I mean, obviously, I instantly right, went like right back down to where I was at originally. But still, peaking at 72 is really cool. So thank you guys very much for listening to me uh, to get me to that spot. If I sound funny, I had my teeth worked on today. And they numbed me up real good. And now I sound like, like I don't know, Bill Cosby or something like that. I, like my, my top lip is all over the place. So if it sounds funny, that's why. Uh, what else do I have to get through? Oh, okay. So here is, and I know I got to talk about a sport thing real quick. I got to talk about a sport thing real quick because it's arguably the biggest story in my state and it's arguably the biggest story in college football. So with that being said, I am looking at a pennant at two pennants and a fans only parking sign of Marshall university in my childhood bedroom. I still have those hanging up. So I think I'm allowed to speak on this a little bit. I didn't go to Marshall. Um, I grew up a fan of them, and I still follow them, and I root for both teams. Even though I went to West Virginia, I still root for Marshall to win every game. Marshall University has fired their head coach, Doc Holliday. He is from Hurricane. He's from Hurricane, West Virginia, born and bred. Yes, he played at West Virginia University. Yes, he coached there for 20 years. But him being able to, like, I'm pretty sure he lives on his family farm and coaches Marshall. And I had buddies that played at Marshall, and I asked them about this, and they were thinking maybe they just want to get some new blood in there. It was hard for Doc to relate to the players. He's a great recruiter, but maybe it's hard for him to relate to the players. I have issue with it, folks. Marshall fans, I'm sure I have people listening to this that went to Marshall and have their own thoughts and opinions. You need to take a step back, okay? I understand you've you, you're, your microscope is so close onto the Thundering Herd program that you can't see the broad landscape, all right? You are you have won seven bowl games in 11 years with Doc Holliday. Consistent, you know, uh, you've had one, two, three, four, I don't know, yeah, three 10-win seasons, one nine-win, one eight, two eight-win, and this year you won seven and you were ranked this year. You've been ranked multiple times throughout, and, you know, Doc Holliday won Coach of the Year this year. He he, they won a conference championship in 2014. Uh, he won Coach of the Year again in 2014. You gotta take a step back and you gotta think. Hmm, we're Marshall University. We don't have the resources, the budget, the money, the funding, the this and that, and the in the uh, facilities to play Power Five football. Okay, you're a G5 school, and that's fine. You'd be the best G5 school you can be, or G6, whatever it is group of five, you have an elite recruiter and a solid coach as your head man, okay? And he's from West Virginia. There's that aspect. You are consistently ranked winning 10 games, all that stuff. What more could you do? I was there for the Mark Snyder era, okay? I know about bad Marshall football. My dad and I sat in Jones C. Edwards Stadium and watched Bernard Morris scramble around to with his life on the line because he couldn't get anyone to block for him. I was there for that. Yeah, I saw Maude Bradshaw too, but still, 
I was there. Aaron Dobson, I was there. Brian Anderson, I'm naming. Here's a case Whitehead was your best player and he was the punter. I was there. I know this stuff, okay? Tyler Warner, Parkersburg native, the kicker. I still think that kick went in against West Virginia. Okay? I know what's going on with the program. From, 20, from 2005-2010, Marshall won 45, 41% of their games and qualified for one bowl game. That's it. That's it. You've won seven bowl games with Doc Holliday. Listen, I... Dude, I mean, I, I, I remember the Little Caesars Pizza Bowl. I remember that. The 6-6 six and six year, and it was a big deal. You, we, you guys were pumped for 6-6. Six and six. Ten years ago, pumped for six and six, got a chance to win a ball game. Now, you want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because you didn't win ten games. You won nine. They're saying he can't get it done in the big game. You won seven bowl games. You've been, you went to the conference championship this year. Yeah, you laid an egg, but you went. It's a pandemic year. It's a bananas year. You had a freshman quarterback. Dude, you had an elite defense. I If you want to promote the... The defensive coordinator, I th- that's probably the best possible move, is to promote from within, promote the defensive coordinator. Players seem to like him. But what are you, why fire Doc Holliday? That just doesn't make sense to me. I know I went on a five-minute rant about it, but I just had to get that off my chest. Dude, you're consistently winning 10 games. You're ranked. You are Marshall University, and I I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I really don't get it. And the fact that it comes, apparently... It's come down from Jim Justice. That's a conspiracy. I'm not going to go all in on that conspiracy because the Marshall University president said that's hearsay. So I'm going to I'm going to agree with him on that. But still, dude, I I just it wouldn't surprise me if Doc one retires or two becomes an assistant at West Virginia University. Those are the only two options I have for him in my mind. I it's that's just crazy to me that they fire him. But anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Chris. Uh, we talk. We finally get to talk about comedy in this one. I think the last 15 minutes we have a comedy conversation. And uh, there's a, obviously a little bit of sports and stuff like that. So hope you enjoy that. And I hope your new year start out great. But then you look at LeBron. And they were both given these big tasks at young age. And LeBron has still remained culturally relevant. Exceeded expectations. And is still doing it at age 36. Yeah. I, I think there's not, like, at the end of the day, he's one of the greatest athletes of all time. In all, all sports. You're absolutely right. And I love the fact that he kept his boys with him. He has this tight circle of people that he trusts. LeBron does not have a very big circle at all. He's got, like, five guys. And I love watching clutch those. Sports. What's that? I said clutch sports. Clutch sports. Rich Paul. Yeah. Rich Paul. I like- that, if you want to talk about it, guy came from selling jerseys in the back of the car to one of the most powerful people in the NBA. It's Rich Paul. Yeah. I, uh, what did he do? I love watching those more than an athlete series that LeBron did where you get to see like the behind this. Cause I'm obsessed with LeBron's like work ethic and his strife strife for greatness and all that stuff. Like I love that. And those videos where he's working out and he's like motivating people and he, that whole more than an athlete series on ESPN plus. It's so cool because you got to see that whole 2016 championship run where they come back from the 3-1, and he's walking into the locker room after, um, I think they make it 3-2, you know what I mean, in the series, after they win that second game, and he's like, yo, they messed up mentally. They're messed up. We're winning this thing. And he just the will and determination to take all these scrubs on Cleveland, other than Kyrie, and be like... (laughs) 
end to end say, hop on this back, we're winning the title. It's Dude, awesome. and the, like, you hear the way people who play with him talk about him. Like, as much as we love Jordan, and like people often say good things, we often every now and then hear teammates tell tell us tell us he isn't this or he isn't that. They hated him. I mean, he would beat yeah. them up to win. Now, I love Jordan too. Don't get me wrong. He's also an excellent. Like, I just love excellence, and he just, you know, he would beat people up to win. I love it. Like they interviewed Rondo. And Rondo's an amazing point guard. I think Rondo Rondo gets into the Hall of Fame. Hmm, interesting. Just um, because of the amount of sheer titles he's won, was he won three now? Three, I think it's three. Yeah, but I think he, and I think he had like two or three All Star appearances. I think he just gets in, like just gets by. But uh, he was like, "Yo, you're playing with LeBron on the court, and he's like a quarterback. He's yelling at you yeah. where you should be. He's telling you what your player is gonna do yeah. if he does." I think J.R. Smith or or R.J. or Channing Fry, one of those guys, was also talking about that. Yeah, dude, and like that's like his commitment to being great at basketball. Like again, he could have made. The, there are so many guys who were supposed to be up next. He could have made it to the NBA and just been one of those guys who never really accomplished anything yeah. and just got a check. Yeah. But he could have made sure he wasn't. It's so funny to hear like J.R. Smith just be like, yo, when Braun's on the court, he'll say straight up like, J.R., bump that way. He's going to pin down this way. Your guy's coming here. And then they do it. And it's just like insane. So do you see LeBron being a coach or a front office guy? Because he, he picks his teams. He could be a front office guy. He picks his team. Okay, so – People keep talking about Dan Gilbert because Dan Gilbert, technically, I heard, wants to own – he's a Detroit guy and wants to own the Pistons. He's a Detroit guy? Yeah, Dan Gilbert. I th- I mean, I know he's the owner of the Cavs and stuff. I just thought he was a Cleveland guy. I know he's owned, he, he owns a lot of property in Detroit. So, like, people keep saying that he wants to eventually buy that, uh, that organization. And people think and speculate that Le- LeBron's going to – get enough money throughout his career to pull an MJ and buy the Cavaliers. Oh, that'd be nuts. We, I mean, MJ's a horrible executive. No offense to oh, MJ. <laughs> Straight up. I'm glad. I don't think he makes any major decisions. I think I'm like, or if he does, I would try to like, be like, yo, don't. No, he, I'm please. pretty sure he's on a record of saying like Frank Kaminsky is going to be a star. Pretty sure he said that. I would. I don't want to trust MJ with any basketball decisions. No. LeBron hates playing with rookies. It's documented. Like, he hates playing with rookies. So, I don't know how he, well he's going to do in terms of cultivating talent. Because LeBron himself is a great player. And mm-hmm. when he gets on teams, he's like, yeah, I want X, Y, and Z. Because they are also great players. And then they bring them on the team. And it's pretty easy to look like a great basketball mind when you yourself are the arguably the greatest player of all time. And you're playing with perennial all-star players you know uh yeah. bosh and wade Kyrie, and kevin love and uh and uh, now, anthony now anthony davis and it's just like how is that going to translate to a front office when you actually have to scout somebody draft somebody and cultivate talent i don't know how that's going to translate because he could even, i think he could easily be like oh i want this player he's mvp let's get him and it's like okay i think at that point you have date they have to understand like what LeBron's doing now is he's saying players he would want to play with. But it's definitely different when you're on the other side and you have to put a team together to play with themselves. Yeah. So, like, that's why the – what's his name? Uh, I think the dude in Toronto, Ossie 
I forgot his name. The GM. He's one of the best GMs out there, period. Yeah. Like, he'll take... The guys he'll draft will do fairly well, but he'll also find those gems and undrafted. Like, he found Fred Van Fleet undrafted. Like and that developed. Was he in Pascal Siakam. That system up there in, uh, in uh, Toronto, I think, is one of the best systems. Because they use their G League to develop guys and... Then they they bring them up slowly. Nick Nurse, hmm? the co- Nick Nurse, the coach is excellent oh, as well. Yeah, he's great too. Like the art of bring, like we are rushed, and I feel like we're spoiled in terms of NBA because like we'll have like a John Morant or a Zion who will be great their first year, right? And we kind of grade everybody on that same curve. Whereas maybe it takes some people longer to acclimate, but I don't think. In Toronto, they give them that time. I, I that's one thing I'm gonna have to get better at doing in terms of the NBA because I'm, like you said, like I'm so like right here right now. So when I think somebody because in the NFL you get drafted, a lot of times people are making an impact instantly. A lot of times, and, yep. and in the NBA, it's something I have to understand where it's like you get drafted and yeah, you're on like the major, you're on the team, okay, you're on the roster, but like. Your minutes are limited. You're developing this. They want to work on this. Because baseball, going back to baseball, because that's my background, you draft a guy and then you don't see him for four and a half years or four years or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just going through the minor league. So it's I, I have to, I need to know how basketball works with rookies. You know, I don't know. So they say around year three is when a rookie should finally be coming into his own. Okay. Whether you're whether you're a role player through your D guy. The stars are obviously gonna show early, but like Year three is when you really want to make your mark. But I I, I I, love the baseball system. I love baseball, and I love soccer. Soccer yeah. and baseball, me, the way you they we invest in you early in your life, yeah. and we bring you into our academy or into minor league system, and we rate and we live and you work with our system and we bring you up gradually. I think I want American sports to move towards that. I would like to see. Uh, I would just, like to see some academies. Yeah, that'd be MLS is getting that way with their youth system, which is pretty cool. Dude, um, it's been amazing this year. If anybody's having a great year, it's U.S. soccer because more players are being bought out of our academies to go play over in Europe. Oh academy. yeah, oh yeah. And the one thing about we soccer is, it's like, kid. go ahead. We have a nineteen-year-old kid. Brian Reynolds from the MLS Academy, who just started this year for uh, the the Dallas MLS team mm-hmm. after their starting their starting uh, right back got bought over to Europe, and now this young kid is also getting bought over to Europe. That's wild. The thing is about uh, American, uh, like um, like so. My sister lives in Spain, and she lives in Madrid, which is like the mecca of international soccer. You know, Real Madrid. And so you're driving through the city and you're seeing like whole schools and academies for this certain coaching or that type of teaching that like, it's, it's insane the, the way they develop talent over there versus what we do. Like you'll never see a Miami Dolphins Academy in, in Florida. But I, and I think that's, the, I think we should, I think it takes out so much unnecessary. You don't like the college game. I love the college game, but I, I mean, I love the college game, but like the NBA, the, the NBA, NBA is are, going to that. You're, I think you're right though. on the NBA, because you're seeing like, these guys go international first and then get picked up or play G league or, or not G league or play in some sort of, you know, I don't want to play in college. I want to do X, Y, and Z and then get picked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm ha- I have housing. I have education. I have, I get to play this sport. It's basically you're in college from the time you're younger. Yeah. 
So we bring you up, we and we gradually make you more skilled. Like we make you a complete player. Like you can't play here. You can't be in this academy if you aren't learning or getting better. And it trims the fat. So you have less expectation. And then these kids go on to do other things. Whereas you have AAU who makes these kids great at one thing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I could score. Yeah. I could shoot. I could dribble. I rather, and they're not complete players. And you have less kids getting that skill. AAU game. The AAU game is kind of disgusting, honestly. I was watching it. Uh, I was watching a lot of like this documentary series on it, and you know the how the shoe companies are just infiltrating the game at the, this young age for mm-hmm. these kids, and then you get on the circuit, you get on the Nike circuit, Adidas circuit, then your Nike, and then you go to the big Peach Jam event uh, where mm-hmm. where all these colleges show up. And here's a trick to know if somebody's pockets are lined: um, if so, say a kid is in the Nike camp, and then he signs with the Nike school. And then he plays in the NBA and he's wearing Nikes on his feet. You know that kid was getting money from Nike from the jump. Nike the whole time. They were talking about that with the recruiting. That if you're in like, like like you said, if you're in one of those camps in high school and AAU circuit, you're more likely to go to one of those schools. Exactly. Like Kansas, Kansas, Kansas needs in trouble bad. I mean. Uh, Andrew Wiggins is a prime example of this. I mean, that's a guy who who went to Kansas and then he's wearing Adidas. I mean, look at what they're wearing on their feet, and it's a pretty good indication of what's going on. Exactly. Again, it, and then having academies takes all that out. Wow, you got me on the academy train. You got me on the academy train. I'm in. I wish I could pitch academies. I also like European relegation, but that will oh, never happen. Yeah, I mean. Uh, that's a whole thing with American soccer. Um, I don't foresee that happening for so long just because when teams get relegated in, in, in Premier League and stuff like that, absolutely devastating. And for MLS to be such a small league that's growing and trying really hard, I don't think we'll see it for like 20 years. I think it will happen eventually because every year we see the MLS get three more teams and this and that. And it's like eventually there will be. Like, can you imagine an NBA team being relegated to the G League? That'd be hilarious. That would be hilarious, honestly. Whenever <laughs> that'd be really funny if the Miami Heat have to go play the uh, uh, Westchester Knicks. I think that'd be a funny. <laughs> movie. Could you imagine? Like, could you, you imagine? Could no you relegated? Damian Lillard has to go play the Canton Charge. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> That would be genuinely hilarious. Oh, man. Talk to me about the Knicks, though. I need to know about the Knicks since that's my team. What is something I need to, obviously, the development of Obi Toppin. And they got another, I wanted them to draft that Israeli guy, but they didn't. He looks like a pretty good player for the Wizards this year. Um, So Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quigley were this year's. Who's the second guy? Emmanuel Quigley. Quigley. Okay. Is he a Kentucky guy, too? Yeah, he's a Kentucky guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right now, that's a big. The big conspiracy with Nick fans. So our our new GM uh, is a uh, was a, an agent at CAA. Okay. So we think that we are only going to draft CAA clients and only pick up oh, CAA clients gross. in a free agency. It's like what but the Mets also, did with their like GM who was a uh, an agent. He's gone. And now. also we have a few coaches from Kentucky, so we keep picking up players. That have like this Kentucky, that have a wildcat like uh, heritage. So even in free agency, we picked up uh, we picked up Michael Kidd Gilchrist, uh-huh. who was a CAA was a CAA agent. I mean, a client, and he's from Kentucky. Um, who else did we pick up? That's from Kentucky. We have Julius Randle from Kentucky. We have Kevin Knox from Kentucky. Emmanuel Quickly from Kentucky. 
So I don't know if I like that, but I don't know if I like that. That's the big current Knicks fan conspiracy is that we are picking up where there's a Kentucky pipeline and that we have, uh, uh, we only are going to pick up CAA. I buy that. Uh, I'm drinking that Kool-Aid. I buy that a thousand percent. I believe that. But like we, you, People keep comparing Obi Toppin to uh, Amari Stoudemire, which I think is completely unfair. I don't think I don't. I, defensively speaking, I don't think so. Not at all. And remember, at 22, Amari Stoudemire was in his first All Star game. Yeah. And Obi Toppin is just starting his his NBA career. No, granted, There's he was no, like the Player of the Year in college, which is great, you know. But still. Yeah, but again, Amari, right out of high school, was in the NBA, been being effective. So, like, don't I think putting too much on him. Is some and it's tough, and that's why people often feel allowed. Why? Why didn't they go with point guard there, though? I mean, you have a need at point guard, and you have a billion forwards. You got Julius Randle. You got PJ, or not PJ Washington. Uh, you got uh, who's the other guy? The good forward. Oh, uh, we have Michael. Well, Michael, Michael Mitchell Robinson at center. Mitchell Robinson at center. Uh, we, now we have Ner- Nerlens Noel is another Kentucky guy. I like Nerlens Noel though. Okay, that's the one Kentucky I'll, I will take just because he is a pretty good shot blocker. I like him. And like Knicks fans have this, I want to say this unrealistic goal that one of our two point cards. I don't think I think we're getting off the train, but they really think that if we give Dennis Smith Jr. one more chance, he might pan out because he was a. But he's like he's not. He's not going to pan out is in the Frank NBA. Is Franklin Lakina on the team still? Franklin Lakina, I, I think you keep Franklin Lakina only for all for defense. Like he is the he he plays defense at a at an elite level. I'm still trying to figure out how the NBA rotations work. Like when you should rest guys, when you should put guys in for two minutes to see if they can hold their own on this guy, and then bring in the good guy. It's weird. It's something I have to figure out. They do, I think, mostly, right, again, and right now with this season, they're still trying to figure out because there was, remember, there was no Las Vegas Summer League for the rookies. Oh, yeah. And there was no fall training camp leading in, leading into the preseason. Season starts so, pretty soon, uh, right? The 22nd? Pre- well, yeah, the season starts next week, yeah. Oh, my God. Preseason, they just won their, pre- came back and won their preseason game last night. I was watching, which was a pretty good game. Big time. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a weird year because, again, once you go from Vegas Summer League, which is like your int- it's like intro to ba- uh, NBA basketball one-on-one yeah. uh, to a lot of rookies and young guys. So, again, the speed is upped. you got to get used to the speed of the NBA, ga- the NBA game and everything. And then you go to that fall training camp and it continues. This year they didn't have that. You're kind of just getting – Toss into the fire. So, do you think we're going to see a lot less rookies getting minutes, or what do you think is going to happen? I think we're going to get they're going to get minutes, but I don't think. Oh, what do I want to say? I don't like think Obi gonna... Toppin. Do you think Obi Toppin? He he wouldn't start, obviously, right? No, he's going to be behind Julius Randle yeah. until we get rid of. I think that I think honestly, the Knicks are going to try to flip Julius. Randall. I would, I would. He's your best asset to get something like a a pick or a young guy. Yeah. It's best asset. I think they're gonna hold. They're gonna flip Julius Randle to a playoff team before the before before the trade deadline. I buy that. I'm with that. So yeah, and like we're still again. Thibs is still looking at uh, uh again still looking at un, uh unit to miss uh minutes and he's missing guys because Austin Rivers is injured. Um, 
Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is injured. So we're still seeing who's going to get those minutes. Like, Emmanuel quickly is getting minutes right now yeah. because those guys are injured. Well, even though he's done really great in his minutes that he's gotten on the court, which I hope he doesn't get taken away once those guys come back. But you just foresee, I mean, is it inevitable that Knicks just, like, they're going to get the first pick next year? I mean, barring draft, barring, barring a lottery, you know, mess up. So... I think it's between them again, and the Cavaliers also aren't yeah, going to be good. Bad. This Cavs team. are bad. I was looking at so the like, Cavs roster the other day, and I, I like, I mean, Colin Sexton and uh, Chetty Osman might be the only names, and then they, they obviously they're rookie, but uh, yeah. So again, yeah, and I think the Knicks are are going to play are might play a part in that Harden trade. Mm, okay. Because again, they they said they're willing to take on bad contracts for so if they need a third team. To be in that, to be in that trade. Okay. Yeah, that's I weird how the NBA can do that with the three teams and stuff. That's tough. Three team trade. I think because the Knicks said they're willing to take on bad contracts because they have the cap space, so they're willing. To, I think they'll take on. They'll try to help in whatever trade they can. Yeah. To get more picks. Yeah, I'm with that. Uh, got a few minutes here. Uh, again, we need to talk about comedy just because you know at the end of the day we are. Uh, jokesters i want to so you went to you're from new york you went to la and uh, you're doing your stand-up stuff and you want to get into writing and everything um who are would you say like a mount rushmore like who are some of the people you admired on your comedic journey and like when did you start and stuff so i want to say i started in 2015 i did that thing i did my first show Mm -hmm. and like what i did like i got put on an actual show and I was not ready at all. Ooh. Did you eat it? Did you eat it out there? I surprisingly didn't eat it, but like looking back at what happened, I was like, dude, this is not stand up. This was just me being stupid on stage and people laughing. <laughs> right. So like then you learn you slowly learn. And my goal as a uh well, my Mount Rushmore is uh who right my Mount Rushmore? You have the obvious uh prior, you have Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. But also for me, I have guys like um, I want to say Donald Glover, who became good at a little bit of everything. Yeah, uh, I watched that Donald Glover weirdo special so many times in high school, bro. Yeah, he's really good, dude. He and then he was writing for Thirty Rock at that time, right? And Community, uh, I think he was on Community, and he was on Community. Uh, people who could, I think, the goal in comedy is to. Yes, be great on stage, but you want to be versatile because, again, not everyone's going to make a livable wage just being on stage. Absolutely. So for me, I love narrative storytelling. So for me in the last, well, at least even before the pandemic, but during the pandemic, I've been heavily like reading a lot about screenwriting and and writing a lot. And I finished a pilot for myself, which was a big thing for me. Thank you. But like, I think that's a door that a lot of comedians can, cause we write a lot anyway. Every day. We used to write every day, a lot. The paper. Every day. So I think that's something that a lot of us should get into because with all the people out here making content with like the Amazons and the, yeah. Oh yeah. There's writer's rooms available. That's a good point, man. There's, there's, and I've said this, I've said this on a billion episodes. I'll say it again. There's more room at the table for people to get a, a piece of the pie. However, the piece of the pie is smaller than what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I again, not 
I always say this to friends because they're like, oh, I didn't get this, I didn't get that. I'm like, cool, maybe, maybe the the being in front of the camera, maybe not for you. Yeah. Maybe there's something behind the camera for you, and you just have to. You have to learn a bit about everything. Yeah, comedians themselves are very adaptable people. I mean, you have to be able to think quickly. So, so you making a transition, and not not that you're not going to quit stand up or anything, but you making a transition into being able to write, I think, would be a, an easier transition than say if an actor said, oh, "I'm going to start writing." Yeah, and and like, I also like, I uh, there's this program that I'm starting at the end of the month uh, about just being around film sets and getting you on film sets to do PA work. And I'm just like, learn as much as you can about the industry so that when you get in the industry, you always, there's always a place for you. That's a good point. You're like the utility man on like a basketball team. You're, you're the 6'8 exactly. position player. I think, I think a lot of us as comedians are one-track minded where we're like, we have to get a Comedy Central special. We have to do this. We have to do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nah, the, the, the goal is to enjoy what we're doing but make a living the goal is to like i've said again you're preaching the choir here bud but it's like if i can make a career where i make people laugh for a living and if it's on stage and i'm touring that's i mean wow that's the moon but it's like if i get to do you know uh local spots and and make a living at it and and be in a writer's room i win like that's awesome that like dude same track because like i feel like people feel like that's not still winning I'm like, no, that's absolutely still winning. You were gonna be writing anyway. Now you're getting paid to write. You're you're getting to make jokes for a living. I mean, wh- isn't that the goal? I mean, come on. Exactly. I and like, again, people feel like there's if you don't if you're not in again in front of the camera or you're not on Comedy Central, there's no you're not making it. But again, there's so many new avenues that people are taking. Well, look at look at what some of the hottest comedians in the game right now are doing. They're they're saying, nah, screw this, screw this Netflix, screw this Comedy Central stuff. I'm gonna bring the people to me. You know what I mean? And just do it on on do it on YouTube. Your own on like Andrew Schultz before his Netflix before the Netflix, he was just doing it on his Instagram and he was doing his Patron and he was making people were telling me he was making great money on Patron. On Patreon? Patreon, my fault. (laughs) He's just sipping Patron. He was just sipping Patron. He was making ad deals, sipping Patron. But, like, he was making great money on that, I heard. Yeah, oh, yeah. Patreon is the way to go. I mean, I have a page set up, and so that's why I'm trying to start recording episodes in bulk more, so that way I can put out content earlier on there and do more videos now that I have internet and I can actually get stuff out. But you're absolutely right. It's the way to go. I mean, Schultz Schultz is the... uh, an early innovative mind in that he saw through it. But you look at a guy like a uh, Sam Morell, you look at um, uh, who else put specials on YouTube? Uh, Joe list, put a special on YouTube, Norman. Mark Norman. Yeah. All these, all these killers put specials on YouTube and, and I know I'm missing people. And, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just the way to go. Again, make your own way is something that I'm again, pushing for now, but also, yeah, I'm going to learn to write and, and produce my, I will, I think, after the pandemic, I want to produce my own short film because I've been writing one with a friend, wow. and our goal is to put it to start filming as soon as everything opens back up. That's really cool, man. Do you yeah. have a Do you have a loose premise that you mind teasing us with? A loose premise. Uh, so I'm gonna tell you a very a very loose premise. It's more of a dramedy than I, I love dramedies. I think too, man. I love a good dramedy. 
Um, the world is neither all drama or all comedy. So I think a, a dramedy is the perfect representation of what's going on. Right. Um, but it's basically a person find, uh, at their person's funeral, a father's funeral, they find out that they have another sibling. Uh-huh. So it's just uh, about examining family. It's examining how we how we view family and how secrets affect family. So like, it's just a little bit of that. Yeah, all in a span of uh, because we both have had experiences similar to that, where where you have like uh, you know, people in your family you didn't know you had and stuff like that. Yeah, that's wild, man. And the fact that that actually happened to you, I'm sure that it's gonna shine through in your writing. That it just seems more real as opposed to like I want to write a story about this and then it's forced. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like we both were. It was. And it's another comedian. We were both just joking about it one day, and we found that we both had similar experiences about it. So we decided let's get this somewhat down on paper and just see where it goes. And we've been chopping it up most of quarantine. And um, we're, uh, I went to a few uh, Zoom seminars. By the way, go to Zoom seminars, I think, uh, is another big thing to tell people. Zoom, if you're interested in a certain Zoom, subject, Zoom right now is the perfect time. Huh? Zoom seminars? What are like? So you just like sit there and listen to people? So I did a few Zoom seminars on like a writing, b filmmaking, on just like searching different sites. I found different seminars. Like there was a film study on short film where I met like I met actual contacts that I'm using now. That's cool, man. To, did you study? Did you study filmmaking at Rutgers or something? I studied, I studied television. Oh, okay. Um, like like um. I never got into television right until after. Like that was my big thing. After after I left college, I got into the idea of wanting to write for television, uh-huh. which is another big thing. I think I went to college when I wasn't supposed to because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I think I wanted to be more. I wanted to do more. What you what you did was uh, I wanted to do sports agency. Uh huh. So I wanted to represent sports people. I didn't want to represent people. I just wanted to work into the game. Like, and there, I, I don't think it ever crossed my mind. Like what. In the office that I was in, everybody had aspirations. Like, you'd go around the room, and people would say what they wanted to do. And everybody said, I want to be a GM of a baseball team. I want to be a president of baseball ops. I want to run a ball club. And that's I thought it was great that those guys had that aspiration. And then it came to me, and I did not have that aspiration to run a whole ball club. I think it'd be cool to work with a team and have some say into what people you bring in. But to actually run a ball club is, it just, I had no desire to do it. So I was like, okay, maybe I should not try to continue to do this. Before I was, before I got into comedy, and this was like right before I got into comedy, I was still, well, this was a little bit, I was interning at a bunch of different talent agencies. So like I interned at, I'm not, well, Don Buckwalls in Manhattan. I did, uh, I interned at a place called Red Entertainment, uh-huh. and I would and I loved being like reading scripts. I loved all of that, but I was like, dude, I don't think I belong here. I don't have this certain drive that these guys have. Yeah, well, the, to thing, try the to thing was, I was a comic before I got my baseball gig too, so that kind of made it tougher. I became a started. I became a comic shortly after. After one of them were like, you should try going to like an open mic or something. Yeah, and <laughs> go. But yeah. That, I think there's a certain drive those people have to do that. But like, I think there's a a shift in like realizing 
you could sell talent to realizing that you're like, you're like maybe I could do this. Maybe I'm talented. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, people are bypassing agencies and stuff like that and realizing that like, that's just taking more money away from me. I can handle my deals myself and stuff like that. I, I, I feel like they are. I feel like, like I have a couple of friends who, who uh, got rid of their managers during the pandemic. I'm just like, I always, t- to me, cause I'd never had one. I, I view that as like a milestone for me. Yeah. But like, one of my friends who have them, they go through them like nothing. Yeah. And they're like, I book most of my own stuff. So why do I need this person taking a percentage? Exactly. And, 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 uh, you see that even in the NBA, I think Jalen Brown negotiated his own contract. A lot of them now, their fathers are like their agents or, and, and like, but like these guys are, I think we're getting to an age where a lot, a lot of the NBA players, their fathers used to play overseas, yeah, and you said so. Now their fathers are like, "Listen, we'll we'll make sure you get what you deserve." And I think that's better than having a stranger. Yeah, oh yeah, because it's someone you trust. I mean, people's fathers have taken money away from them. In the NFL, you had Bernie Kosar as a quarterback. Uh, he he mm-hmm. Cleveland Browns, and his dad like took all of his money. But but I mean, I think for the most part, you know, you think your parent or your parent is a trustworthy person. I think that's what it comes down so, to as far as management. You know, Tobias Harris. Yeah, his dad was his agent and his dad started an agency and he has a few clients too i'm pretty sure he just represents his sons i think that's it i think he just represents somebody else in the off season okay but like that's that's ideal because you're keeping that family all in the money i mean that money all in the family and you know this person has your actual best interest exactly exactly and versus you go you're with a talent agency and and you got you're like the 10 billionth client they have and they don't really care if you succeed or not you know what i mean it's it's always interesting because like when i was working there i was sitting at desks and i was like you would see these people come in and like their whole life you this like you as an agent have to take care of this person's whole career so your whole career is taking care of this person's career. You have to make sure they're on time. You have to make sure they know their lawn. You have to do this. You have to do that. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to do any of this. <laughs> That's wild, man. Well, I'm happy. I'm happy you figured it out. What what a, you have a, a guide post, an outline of what you'd like to do. It sounds like you get a plan, man. I, I I wish the best to you and your and your career. Hopefully, we can stay in touch and, and do some gigs and have some fun. And uh, is there anything you'd like to leave the people, man? Uh, anything I want to leave the people with? Uh, do you guys? I think that's the biggest thing I've learned during this pandemic and figuring it all out is uh, you have to do what makes you happy. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Wow. Figure out a plan and go with it. Put number one first in the words of Chris Lamadou. I like it, folks. I like it. Hey, uh, Chris, thank you for being on, my man. And everybody, remember to follow him at his Twitter and Instagram at... At Chris Lamadou on both Twitter and Instagram. It's easy, folks. I'll I'll put it in the description. And in the meantime, keep taking care of yourselves and keep all uh, those messages coming whenever you send them. It makes me feel good. So uh, thank you guys very much. I will see you when I see you, and I hope you all have a great day.